This podcast contains explicit language and deals with confronting issues of mental health that may be triggering for some listeners. If you are having any problems, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. I recently had a conversation with King Parrot's Matt Young, who spoke about his battle with addiction to drugs and alcohol. We spoke about the role music has played in him becoming and continuing to be sober. Welcome back to the podcast, The Demons Within. I have a special guest with me today, Matt Young from King Parrot. How are you, my man? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's my absolute pleasure. Now, I'm going to ask you the question I ask most people who come on the show, the very first one. What got you into metal? What, what, where did it start for you? Ah, <laughs> uh, Jesus, I hate this question. Because <laughs> <laughs> I always have to talk about the 1980s and I always have to talk about poison. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. But that's just the way that's just the way things panned out for me, man. You know, like I was very impressionable young lad, probably I was probably eight or nine years old, I reckon. And my cousin was a big metalhead, and he was probably three or four years older than me. And he was like, "Oh, poison, poison! You got to check out poison," you know. And I was like, "Whoa!" You know, obviously very impressionable at that age. I thought they were cool and couldn't quite work out why my dad was laughing and <laughs> you know like but yeah like I got into that stuff and then the next thing it was like oh you got to check out Motley Crue and then it was like you know you got to buy Hot Metal magazine which I'm sure you know anyone who's probably you know like I'm nearly 40 so you know anyone who's my age would know about Hot Metal and yeah yeah all that and the, the massive impact that that had on the heavy music uh, scene in Australia and yeah, you know, from there it was like you know all those bands, Skid Row, Guns and Roses. You know, I was at like my first concert was Poison when I was like I think I was in grade three, and uh, yeah, and I went, you know, and I had the denim jacket with the open up and say R patch on the back and all that sort of stuff, and yeah, you know, I went with with my dad and a couple of a couple of my friends from school and their dads. We all went and it was. Yeah, it was just like, whoa, they're swearing, they're saying the F word, they're doing all this, you know. <laughs> and that was just like, that was a really cool thing to experience at such a young age. And then, you know, from there it was, you know, hey, you got to listen to this other band, Metallica, you know, and then, and then it just went from there. I think by the time I was in year seven, grade six, year seven, so I was probably, you know, 12 or 13, I got a taped tape of Slayer Seasons in the Abyss and Sepultura uh, Rise. And then that just changed everything, you know. That was me like, okay, I'm I'm into this. This is this is gonna be pretty serious for me. Yeah. <laughs> and and then yeah, I just went nuts from there. And you know, by the time I was in year year you know, 13, 14, I was into black metal and Norway, you know, Urzum and Dark Throne and all that sort of shit and Emperor and I loved all that sort of stuff at a really sort of young age. And then sort of, you know, I still just like, I have an appreciation for all sort of heavy music and stuff like that. I had some friends that were into more of the, more of the Aussie stuff and, you know, like Spiderbait and that sort of more sort of alternative punky demeanies and all that sort of stuff. So I got had some exposure to all that stuff as well. In the defense of it, I still listen to Wasp. <laughs> I'm, yeah, still, yeah, I'm yeah. still a huge fan. Crimson Idol has to be one of my top five albums ever. 
absolutely brilliant stuff. And look, and, and you know, I still remember singing, you know, I Remember You and all that in the first bands that yeah. I was in and like love that stuff. Absolutely love it. It still has a still has a warm space in my heart. So you you're not you're not too far away from my own sentiments when it comes to that sort of style. So my question is then, like I, I mean, I can see the steady sort of I don't really want to use the word decline, but it is somewhat of a decline into heavier stuff and i don't mean that in a negative way <laughs> but but the bands that you're talking about there like particularly the the heavier black metal ones and the death metal ones and they, they deal with some pretty pretty you know heavy stuff and pretty severe topics it, what why do you think you were attracted towards that i mean coming from the person that's you know in love with poison and going towards you know th- these really really dark deep bands like why why do you think that shift actually happened I, I don't know, man. It's it's really hard to. It's kind of hard because like it's it's hard to say because I didn't. I don't know. I really, I really don't know. It's it's a strange thing because I went to like the first high school that I went to was like a private Catholic sort of school, and I went there and it was full. They were t- you know like my parents are like you know you got to go to this school and all that, and I was sort of like yeah, I didn't really want to go, but just kind of had sucked it up and I didn't last there long. I only did a couple of years there, but I was wearing a fucking trench coat with Slayer and Sepultura <laughs> and Pantera. And I was the only fuck. And I was wearing these death metal t-shirts. And yeah, yeah. I was the only kid there that did that. Yeah. You know, like yeah. there was a couple of other of my friends that were sort of, you know, they would sort of toy with it a little bit, you know, but you know, like I remember one of my friends went and, you know, like on one of our trips to Melbourne to go to Metal for Melbourne or Smoke Dreams or Extreme Aggression and that he bought an Iron Maiden t-shirt and he never even listened to him, you know, and I just remember that and I was like, yeah, that's, you know, I just remember that him doing that just to sort of fit in and I was like, yeah, it kind of sucks. And that makes perfect sense. Like, I mean, what, you, what you're what you saying here is that this became part of your identity. It became a part of who you were and you gravitated towards it, particularly put in such a, I don't know, conservative sort of space, like in this school. And then, you know, you're saying, no, 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 this is who I am and I'm going to say it loudly and I'm going to say it proudly. Yeah, pretty much. That was that was it, you know. And, like, I used to cop a lot of shit, you know, because I was growing my hair long and, you know, wearing that, you know, well, I thought it was cool. And my cousin had one and he and I thought he was cool. And, and that was really all that mattered to me. I was just like, you know what, this is what we think is cool. And if you don't like it, then fuck you, basically. And that's, that's, that's just sort of how it was. And I don't know, I guess I had sort of maybe a couple of periods of time in, in my younger years where I was like re- heavily into sport and playing footy and all that sort of stuff where that kind of became a priority. But then I guess by the time I got to like 15 and 16, I was smoking pot every day and drinking a lot of alcohol. And, and I was just like, you know what, I could go and play footy, get my head beaten in every week, feel like shit afterwards, or I could just not play footy, play my guitar more often and just get, high and take drugs and, <laughs> and drink all the time and listen to heavy metal music you know and and i opted i it was just getting you know like playing sport and all that sort of stuff just became too difficult as well like when you're stoned and you're smoking cigarettes and all that i was like far out i can't i can't do this and it hurts so it just hurt like people are beating my skull in every week and i'm just like no nah, i just I, I just 
just drifted more towards the music side of things, I guess. Yeah, for sure. I can sort of see you've chosen music in order to suit the lifestyle that you're actually going for. And, you know, heavy metal music kind of works with that sort of that sort of background, surely, and that sort of idea. Do you find that's a bit of a cultural thing within the band, that that's kind of how you're, you're all on the same page and it all sort of works that way? Uh, with the guys in King Parrot? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I guess for me it's a bit different because, you know, like I'm clean and sober these days. I'm, I've been clean and sober for over nine, nine years, you know, so... So initially, I kind of like with the drug stuff and all that, and and the, and the drugs and alcohol. Like for me, it just all through like probably from the age of fifteen up until I was like thirty, and you know I, pro- I probably you know used drugs or alcohol every day, at least most days. You know, like if <laughs> if it wasn't every day, it was very very close to. That was my vice, and that was a real issue for me achieving what I wanted to achieve in my musical career because I hadn't like I was play, always played music and always played in bands and we'd done a few little bits and pieces and stuff but I'd never really achieved what I wanted to achieve or what I'd like sort of dreamt that I would achieve when I was younger like when I was a kid because I was way too off my face all the time basically so when I got to about 30 I was sort of you know, I'd been doing the drugs and the alcohol stuff pretty hard for, you know, at least a good decade. And, you know, pretty, you know, like those formative years from like 15 to 20, I was definitely like a blackout drinker and I was always smoking dope and, you know, and experiment, experimenting with other drugs. But then as I got older, the experimenting became, you know, it became very... Uh, it was a problem, you know, and I think probably from 25 to 30, I was doing it against my will. I didn't really want to do it anymore. And then, and then by the time I got to 30, just some of life's experiences and things that happened to me through my life, I was just like, I needed some, I needed some help, you know, and and so I went and got it, you know, and I and I went and uh, did what I had to do to get clean and sober, and you know, and I've been living that way pretty much the whole time, and pretty much the whole time King Parrot's been going too. Yeah, right. Yeah, so you kind of is that interesting that your avenue to go get help coincided with the same, you know, it freed you up. So you were able to achieve the things that you wanted to achieve. Well, and I'm assuming you've achieved the things that you were looking to achieve. There's probably more for you to want to do. Yeah. Certainly King Parrot is looked up, looked up to as a, as a success story when it comes to Australian metal. I just and I'll touch on that again soon, but I just want to go back to what you were saying there when you said that you realized that you needed to go get help because what was happening is that you were doing it against your will. And that's that's a really interesting point. I think for many of the listeners, I don't think they realize the crippling effect and the controlling effect that addiction can have on on yourself. So can you talk us through a little bit your experiences there, but also what it was like to actually go off and get help and what did that look like? I reckon probably from when I was around 25, I reckon one another friend of mine started to get, get the shit together and I watched them get their shit together and I watched them uh, move away from me. So one of my first feeble attempts at trying to stop was tell it, I went to a doctor and I told them, oh, look, I've got a problem with smoking dope, but I didn't tell them about everything else that I was doing. But I was just like, oh, I'm smoking dope every day. So they said, oh, look, we'll give you some medication. 
And so I went, <laughs> I went and took this medication and then I went and got drunk that afternoon and it just absolutely destroyed me, you know, and I was like, whoa, that just, it just knocked me for a six, this medication and, and the combination of that and alcohol. And I was just like, my head was spinning and I was like, oh, okay, that doesn't work. I'm throwing that in the bin. I'm never doing that again. And then, you know, like I, I had some feeble attempts at, you know, going to counseling and things like that. But yeah, for me, it was, you know, it was a culmination of sort of life experiences and and really seeking help. And, and the person that I was uh, talking with at the time who had some experience in recovery said, you know, you really need to look at the 12-step programs, you know, and, and that's, um yeah, what I guess the way I sort of, the way I sort of do it, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the 12-step program seems to have worked for you quite well now it certainly has man yeah it's it's, i mean it's 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 like without sort of because you know they are anonymous programs or whatever so i won't sort of say which ones i'm involved in or whatever but it works you know like that's that's what works and if if you if that's what you want to if you want to do it like and you just do what they say to do (laughs) you'll get it you know like if you do all the things that they say to do then you'll get it you know and that's and i've seen it happen for countless people you know like you know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people and uh yeah it's 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 an amazing thing and you know i can attribute that you know taking part in that stuff and learning about all that stuff to um you know i i I put that stuff into my life the way you've you know you cleaned yourself up but the way you did that by seeing somebody else do it now that's i think that's a really interesting point to have made in the sense that we need those sorts of role models who turn turn you know that we can turn to and say oh i understand that it can be done because this person has done it do you have any any words of advice for anyone who was going through a similar problem to what you did so for me it, it's it's been the 12 step programs that's that's what that's 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 what works and that's what i know that works and people have differing opinions on that and you know, like people, the 12 step programs view addiction as a disease, and that's controversial in itself. But the way I, the way I looked at it was when someone said to me, Oh, you, you know, it, it's a, addiction's a disease. I was like, Right, that gave me something to work with. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, that gave, that gave me, I, I could sit there and go, Oh, that's why I've been fucked in the head for 20 years. You know, like, you know, that's why I, that's why I haven't been able to. That's why I went down this path. That's why I went. That, that's it makes so much sense in all aspects and areas of my life. It just made total sense to me that that was my issue and that I was suffering from this disease. So that that made so much sense to me. And you know, for for pe- anyone that feels that they may have that issue, like I would just suggest going and checking it out. You know, go to a meeting and check it out. They they say you know go and check out five or ten before you give it a you know before you make up your your mind you know just to get your head around it and sort of see the different sort of ways that things run and and all that and then you know just doing the suggested things there's a whole bunch of suggested things and if you do all those suggested things you might not get it right straight away but if you put your head down and you bum up and you want to really change your life you can and i think one of the greatest things that greatest gifts that I've been given as a result of that is just like the open-mindedness and like becoming honest was was and has been challenging and I'm, I feel like I am more now but I guess 
you know, like just relating it back to the music stuff. Like I remember playing in bands in my twenties and stuff and we would, you know, get paid or whatever. And then we'd take all the money and we'd just go straight to the bar or straight to the drug dealer and drink it all or blow it all. And it'd be gone. Whereas these days, you know, it's, it's, it's a business, you know, and, and I've treated it as such and tried to, apply total honesty to every aspect of it the way that I apply recovery to my life, if that makes sense. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I think it's really interesting, this concept about it, uh, alcoholism or, or, you know, uh, being addicted to drugs and those sorts of things as a disease. And I think mm-hmm. the, the that can be quite jarring for people in the same way that we say that mental health is is an illness. Or, or having poor mental health is an illness is quite jarring for people as well. And I think these are the things because we don't see physical symptoms or we don't see, you know, uh, I guess, physical evidence, you know, runny nose, sore throat, those sorts of things. We, we tend to not see them in the, in the same fashions. But I think you, you're really lifting a veil here around the way we, we see these things because we do have physical manifestations they are things like you know spending your money when when you shouldn't but excessive anxiety and we and we see physical symptoms of these with people you know stomach cramps or or you know excessive weight is another one people will eat and eat and eat and eat and and that it's not because they they want the food or because you know it's because they know uh, or that it's filling a, a void that that is caused through mental health problems and those sorts i think that's all an important thing that we need to start addressing as a society and i don't think it's as easy as hey did you know that this was an illness not you know this is what it should be classified oh thanks cheers no worries we can deal with that yeah i think it actually is on a daily basis little bits and pieces we we see this problem when we go to work and they and they say you know you, you ran late today or or you can't take a day off even though it's a mental health day or whatever we we see that all the time we see this when we hear you know we 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 tell men to man up you know just man up you know gut it out you're all right you're fine those sorts of things and it's it's just they they're the things that we really need to change before we can start seeing these in in the in my opinion the appropriate way would you agree with that? Um, oh, absolutely, man. I think we need to, like, there's a lot of misconceptions about it. And that's part of my, like, I, I was telling you when we were off air before that I, I work at a drug and alcohol rehab. And, you know, part of my job there is to help educate families and support families around why this happens and how this happens and then how we're going to treat it moving forward. And that's, you know, like breaking down some of those stigmas is you know so important because people just don't have any idea about it you know it's not something that you know it's just not something that's really discussed out there in the world unless you have these experiences of a loved one or a family member suffering from addiction you really just wouldn't know or you wouldn't really need to have these conversations so just educating people around it i think is is so important and you know i feel pretty lucky and, and privileged as as well as being able to play heavy metal music that I also get to help people that have these issues in their lives and try and, you know, help them see that there is another way to live and that their family that themselves and their families don't have to go through all this bullshit, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely understand where you're coming from, particularly this perspective of the the deafening silence around, you know, the elephant in the room. Yeah. 
around around mental health and addiction and 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 these sorts of issues that come up. I want to touch on what you were talking about when you were saying about heavy like being part of heavy metal as well because I'm seeing at least it seems to me when you're talking about these things you see a real relationship between helping people in your job and helping people in in heavy metal or at least giving you know people something to scream at or scream with and it does make me think <clears throat> the few times that I've seen you perform when you've come down here to Ballarat and it's a very of course a very aggressive a very aggressive performance but your performance in particular seems like whilst you're still sort of screaming at the crowd and you and you're gearing them up and you're getting them going there seems to still be a very inner inner response to that you, you seem to be very much in your own head for some of it would that would that be fair and can you talk a little bit about that yeah for me i, I think we were, as we were talking about before too for me it's a real release and a real mental health thing to be able to have the opportunity to do that so yeah i guess for me it's i, I kind of like try and take my cues and approach to it from you know from the performance aspect because i've seen like I, I like to be able to perform and and put on the show and stuff like that so i like i love bands like you know i love alice cooper for instance and i love sabbath and i love all that sort of old stuff and then i mean even just growing up and going you know have been into glam metal and that it was a performance you know it was a show and and all that sort of stuff so for me it's always kind of been about it it's been about entertaining but also being really genuine and or trying to be as genuine as you possibly can be and and, and allow that to sort of shine through so with the king parrot stuff like i was never really a singer before or a vocalist before. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it singing but uh, <laughs> i would call it uh, you know squawking or whatever i've never been a vocalist before that so i'd always played bass in bands so for me I was horrified and that right at the start, it was just sort of right at the start of the band. It was like, I didn't know what to do. I was so scared. And the first couple of gigs we did, I was still wasted and using. So I was like, we'd only do a few songs and I was just like absolutely exhausted. My blow my voice out. And I didn't know how to stand. I couldn't really look at the audience properly. And then I think we, we, there was this period where we, like when we first started, then we had a bit of a break and then I sort of got clean and, and then we started performing and I sort of started getting into my own rhythm with it. And the, just, because, just because I wasn't substance affected or alcohol affected and I quit smoking ciggies, I remember my voice changed as well and it you know became what it is now that you probably hear now. That was all very, like it just created that, that identity I guess, for me. And it was sort of, it was just a natural thing. But then like just putting into the songs, some of my actual life experiences and, you know, some of the stuff I put in, some of the words and the vocals and the themes and everything, are, 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 it's real frustration, but it's also stuff that's based on my life and recovery and, and all that sort of stuff. And I just find it funny that, you know, in some of our songs that I've put in one-liners from recovery stuff and, and all that. And when we're at the pub and I'm singing this recovery stuff in a King Parrot song, and it sounds really nasty and brutal, but it's actually related to my recovery and other people's experience with addiction and these drunk drug affected people <laughs> singing it back <laughs> and i'm just like this is fucking stupid like 
<laughs> it leads me to the to the question, and this this was probably the only question that I had in my head before this interview was this idea because you know I I'm the sort of person being an academic I read you know and when I see you know when I look at band stuff one of the first things I'll do if if I like them is read their lyrics you know and I'll have a look at what, what are they talking about and everything and my question was how you reconcile and i think it's a very australian thing to have very very serious lyrics about really deep topics but marry it with larrikinism you know to marry it with with um you know mucking around and and you know being a jokester and all these sorts of things and king parrot just is one of the pinnacles of that i mean you look at any of the film clips there's there's massive comedic elements that 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 are you know employed but at the same time like some of the things that you talk about are really heavy and really full on, you know. So how does that, how do you reckon that plays out? I mean, and not just in King Parrot's thing. So I think about this when I think of like uh, even 12 Foot Ninja do this a lot. I mean, there's a lot of other bands in Australia that do these sorts of things. Like, why do you think that this is the case? I mean, do you think this is a reflection of just Australian society or? Oh man, probably. Yeah, like probably. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, for us, it just is what it is. It just comes out the way that it comes out, you know. You know, there's certain songs that maybe get misconstrued and stuff. Like, I mean, now, you know, the song that probably we're both well known for in the video, like Shit on the Liver, people think that that's about drinking, you know, or, or, or whatever. And it's not. It's not about that. <laughs> it's not about that at all. And it doesn't even mean that. Like, the Shit on the Liver means to be uh, angry. And it's an old Aussie colloquialism. So, you know, it doesn't mean that. But, you know, like, our fans relate to it. and. You know, like they just that's that's what it means to them. So that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Like whatever it means to you is is fine. And but yeah, like essentially, yeah. I think there's some things about our band that's probably get a little bit misunderstood. But that's it doesn't it doesn't really matter because what it means to you is what it means to you. It's and that's what's important. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think that too a little bit with the uh, with the band Dead Kelly as well. But I have to say though, their their most recent effort seems to be cutting a little bit more closer to the bone in terms of what they're talking about. Like I think about yeah, you know, songs like Black Dog and and you know songs like that that are a little bit more straightforward. They're not talking just about Aussie spirit. They're talking about Aussie problems. Yeah, which is, which is a really interesting change and and movement for them. Well, yeah, I know those go those guys and you know what they've had to endure over the last few years has been terrible. You know, like. With uh, Stanley Knife, you know, losing his finger and stuff like that, and still like getting out there and playing his guitar, and and you know, like you know, I'm, I'm probably one of the very few people in Australia that has had the opportunity to work with those guys closely in a way that you know they they let me into their little world and. It's really cool, man. They're like hilarious dudes, you know, and and just the fact that they, you know, they just pick up and they get moving and they get on with it, and you know, like you've got to make your music about the stuff that happened, that the stuff that happens to you in your life. The way that they've adapted that's been fantastic for them, and you know, like I guess that that's that's all we can do as, as creative people is to try and put out our life experiences and emulate those life experiences in song or or whatnot so that you know hopefully it you know other people others enjoy it and hopefully others can relate to it and you know if they do that's great if they don't well you know what we still had a great time doing it you know 
Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> absolutely. It's so true. You know, some of the things that you were talking about resonate very strongly when it comes to the Australian experience and the Australian scene. And I think this idea about us being quite silent about about mental health and addiction and those sorts of things is something that we we really need to be spending more time talking about, I think, you know, and, and addressing the, the elephant that is in the room. I mean, we, we are all listening to this stuff. We are all going to the shows. We're all, you know, chanting and screaming and, you know, being a part of this action. But at the same time, we, you know, we won't admit that these are the problems that we're going through. And I, I think it's, it's, it's high time that we, we start. We start having that really awkward, difficult conversation of, I, you know, I'm not coping. Yeah. Things aren't working for me. You know, I wish things were different. I mean, are there any messages that you have for the listeners out there around this sort of stuff when it comes to the heavy metal scene? Yeah, look, I, I think sometimes the Australian, way of, the Australian way of doing things is just, to, you know, it's a cultural thing in Australia for sure where, you know, when you're a man, you just sort of, you, you man up and you do, you know, like you just shut up. And I don't know, that were the sort of messages that I got when I was a kid, you know, like don't trust anyone, learn how to defend yourself and all this sort of bullshit and that kind of, you know, that got me into a lot of trouble thinking that way as someone who suffers from addiction. So I had to change all that. And that didn't come easily, but I had to change it, you know, and, and, I, and I'm grateful that I did. And I'm grateful that I had the courage to do it and become vulnerable. And I think, you know, initially it can be very hard to open up, but the more you do it and the, the more regularly you do it, the, the easier it becomes. Can I touch on one more thing that you just mentioned there where you said you had to become vulnerable? I think that's 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 a really interesting idea because vulnerability, I think, is one of those. It, it is really the antidote to anxiety, depression, suffering. It, it, becoming vulnerable and saying, naming the things that you've done wrong. Vulnerability is it is the antidote to shame, and that and that's one of the things. And I think I, I'm just sort of reflecting on the story that you've talked about here, and you're saying even with yourself. You know, when you started fronting, you know, King Parrot and being the vocalist, and that's something you weren't overly comfortable with to begin with. I think it's interesting that all of that coincided with you becoming sober. I think it's really interesting that all of that had uh, also coincided with you becoming comfortable with who you are, you know, and, and moving towards vulnerability and away from these ideas of, you know, don't trust anyone and, and you know, you, you've, you've got to stand up, you've got to be a man, you know, all these sorts of ideas. I think that's really fascinating. I mean, is there anything you want to speak to around that yeah look for me it's just been uh you know it's been what was necessary as as a person to grow up you know and and to actually become what i would consider to be a man you know and some of that's been very challenging some of it's been really confronting facing a lot of things that you know like some of my character defects that have been you know, that have troubled me in my life and, and, and having a really good hard look at all of that sort of stuff. And I don't think, you know, if you, if you apply that attitude, that Australian attitude, and I think it's something, you know, it's probably not just an Australian thing, but it's definitely, you know, being from Australia and, and seeing how it affects people and, you know, and working in the work that I work in at a drug and alcohol rehab, like, it, you know, I see it all the time and I see how it plagues people and it kind of pisses me off. And and I know that letting go of all that stuff, becoming vulnerable, learning how to share, learning how to talk about my stuff, learning how to help other people after I learned how to help myself has all been, you know, pivotal in 
remaining clean and sober and and sort of living a different life to the way that I lived previously and you know applying all the stuff that I've learned through getting clean and sober to my life outside of of recovery and seeing how awesome that can be you know it's been you know that's just been one of the greatest things that I've been able to do in my recovery is is to go well you know I, I, I take all this stuff and I take my honesty and I take my own open-mindedness and willingness to try new things and stuff and apply that to my life and you know <laughs> it's uh it's amazing the results you can have I think the key word that you used in 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 that was the word learn to you know, I, I learned to, and, and the idea that this is a practice, it's an ongoing thing, it's not an end point, it's, it's certainly something that you tend to grow and tend to get better at, surely, but not, not something that you end with. Mental health, addiction, all those things are something that we can learn from and just take it one day at a time. Yeah, that's it, man. One day at a time. That's it, that's it, man. And that's 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 the you know that's the philosophy. It's one day at a time. You know, like I don't I just I don't sit there and go, hey, I'm going to get clean and sober forever. I just say, hey, I'm going to be clean and sober today. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. If I if I if I sit there and go, oh, I'm never going to touch drugs or alcohol again. You know, I'll probably I probably will. You know, because to me that's unattainable. You know, I haven't used drugs or alcohol for nearly ten years, but. Like, and I don't feel the need to want to do it anymore, for sure, but I still just do it one day at a time, you know. And initially, in those early days, in the, in, in, in the start, if, if people are trying to do that, you know, it's, it's really important to just do it one day at a time because I know when my attempts at trying to get clean and sober where I was like, I'm never touching it again, I'm never doing it again, you know, like that failed. Yeah, so it's, it is important just to slow things down and, and really try and, yeah, just, just you know, get, get, be present, you know. Like one thing that happens when you're using drugs and alcohol as well as all the mental health and anxiety and all the stuff that comes with it, just being present isn't possible, you know. And, you know, today... You can be present, you know, and and today I am present, which is which is an amazing thing. I mean, I'm not worrying about tomorrow or the next thing or or whatever. I'm just present in today, and you know, if I if I have something to do or a task to do or whatever, I can pick it up. I can do the task, and if it's planning or whatever, I can do it, and then I can put it down and return to being present. You know, and that's something that just takes time. Absolutely, it's something that I probably need to get a lot better at than I am. I would like to be a hell of a lot more present than I actually am, but I think I think you've hit on a on a really important point. There's so much that you've actually crossed over on on this on this podcast. I reckon we could add a whole podcast just to, you know taking apart all those bits and pieces. But I'll, but I'll say. Thank you so much for being so candid in your experiences and thank you so much for, you know, taking the opportunity to be a little bit vulnerable yourself around, you know, how hard it's been and and the sort of journey that you've had over the last, you know, 20 or so years and how, you know, the the positive impact doing something about it and addressing some of these issues have had for you. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure. I mean, I I do it all the time anyway, so it's no big deal for me. I just, I, I, I just hope that, you know that maybe that someone listens and that, that has issues or needs help or whatever can can get it you know and if we can help one person then that's fantastic you know absolutely i thoroughly agree let's hope that that's the case cheers yeah absolutely thank you man i appreciate it Rocket, I shop this rage.
If this podcast has been triggering for you in any way, please seek help by calling Lifeline on 13 11 14.